We are going to be reading this morning from one of Peter's letters. I can take that. My bad. Sometimes you forget. Have you gotten to the point with masks? You're like, oh yeah, I forgot I even had it on. Um, you know, we have to wear them so much that sometimes they just become like ubiquitous with our daily lives. Cannot wait for this, this season to be over of masks. Second Peter 3, verses 8 through 15. It'll be on the screen here behind me. You can um, listen, close your eyes, let the word of God wash over you. You can read along with me however you want, or you can read in the Bibles if you brought them with you. It goes like this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. You might be thinking, why are we reading about the end of the days while we are in Advent? Aren't we supposed to be talking about Christmas? Ask Wilson, it says, is the scripture right in the computer back there and he said I think so it's all apocalyptic and such but that's what it says that's what it says in planning center I was like yeah then it's right that's what we're reading we we are continuing a series this morning called holding Christmas together last week we talked about the fact that there are things in this world that we cannot hold together it is perfectly natural for you to be feeling stressed out by all that's going on with the pandemic and the usual Christmas craziness, and also expectant and excited for a little respite that comes in the Christmas season. There are things in our lives that we can't hold together, but we believe that God can hold all things together, things that we cannot. And so we're going to continue that this morning as we consider the already and the not yet. This morning, I'd like to preach on the subject already and not yet. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, come on now. That one wasn't as good as last week. There was less people here. And all God's people said, see, you got to be excited. I think I've, I've said the same thing like for four years now. But when you say amen, just mean it, you know? Brianna's tired of hearing that. She's like, what, you got to come up with some new lines. 
Well, have you ever considered how silly we act during the Advent season? Like as a church, as a community gathered together, at the beginning of each December, we act like we have intentional selective amnesia. As if, as if something has happened, like we're, we're waiting for something to happen that's never happened before. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that that's what it's like at Advent? Christmas is in three weeks, and the liturgy of this season, our church tradition, the scriptures we read, it's, it's almost as if they ask us to behave as if we have no knowledge of the fact that Christmas is just around the corner. We're supposed to inhabit the headspace of somebody who's never experienced Christmas before. Pretend like there's something that's about to be brand new, and we have no idea what that is. Like we're waiting for something, but we're, we're just not sure what's to come. But the thing is, like, we do know what it is. Like, Christmas happened last December, and no matter what 2020 has done to us, it hadn't taken away the fact that Christmas happened last December, even if last December feels like it was about three years ago. Amen to that? Amen. That was an amen. So why do we do this? Why do we try to act ignorant? Why do we pretend to forget something that we obviously know to be true? Are we trying to trick newcomers? To be like, hey, there's this great thing that's coming in a couple weeks. You might not have ever heard about it before. It's called Christmas. But we've got to pretend like it's not really going on. Are we trying to convince ourselves of something? Trying to pretend like there's something not real about this season? The reason why we do this is because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is already and it's not yet. Have you ever heard that phrase before, already and not yet? It doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems a little far-fetched. It's not something you'd probably use in your common language to talk to your friends and family about anything, really. But the kingdom of God, as Christians, this is a big part of our theological understanding of who God is and who Jesus is is and what God has done is that we believe that the kingdom of God is already and it's not yet. Out of all the things that Jesus talked about, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. When you read through the gospels, Jesus is constantly saying this, the kingdom of heaven is like, you remember that? Have you heard that phrase before here? Just let me give you a couple of examples. Truly, I tell you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven he also said, little children, come to me, for unto such of these belongs the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seeds upon the soil. The kingdom of heaven is like, a, it's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one great pearl, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. On and on. And that's just a couple. There's a lot more. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as some gospels refer to it, is perhaps the most important subject to Jesus. Out of all that he talks about, out of all that he says, he tells more parables, he tells more stories, he's constantly talking, trying to help people understand about the kingdom of heaven. And for all that Jesus talks about it, for all the scripture there is that tries to help us understand it, we still live a life, we still talk, like we don't understand it at all. Part of that's because some of the parables are confusing, but it's also because we only focus in on one aspect of the kingdom. Have you ever noticed this? Many of our ideas about the kingdom are formed about this future glory 
that is going to be taking place somewhere far away. We think of the kingdom of heaven as a place that we're all going to get to in the clouds. We're going to float up there when we die. And it's no wonder we think like this, right? We, we sing songs like, some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away in the morning. I used to sing that song all the time with my grandfather. This one too. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand, there my home shall be eternal. Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. Do you remember that one? If you ever read from the Cokesbury hymnal, you probably remember this one too then. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing of his mercy and grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Thank you, Brad Paisley. Music shapes us, and the music of our faith shapes the way we believe. We sing songs because they reflect our ideas of theology, right? We're not just singing songs on a Sunday morning just because we like the way they sound. It's because they mean something. And so it's no wonder that for most of us, the kingdom of God is some future, faraway existence we will experience one day when we all get to heaven, to the place with the mansions filled in the sky, when it comes to the kingdom, some future reality is, is all we sing about for the most part. And it's not like we get this out of thin air. This notion about the kingdom as future glory is something that is truly biblical. The future of God reigning supreme in some way that we do not know yet is right there in the Bible. We just read from Second Peter. I mean, to hear him tell of it again, he says this, do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that one day with the Lord is like a thousand days thousand years elsewhere. The Lord is not slow about his promise as something of slowness, but is patient with you. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night and the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with the fire and the earth and everything in it done and everything that is done will be disclosed. So if you were to just read second Peter from this text, and if you were to just sing the hymns we have about the kingdom of heaven, it would be no wonder for us to all just constantly be talking about the future of the kingdom. The kingdom's ahead of us. One day we're going to get to the kingdom. We can't wait till we all get there. But to think this way alone about the kingdom, about some future world, would miss out on one of the most powerful mysteries of faith. Each week, whenever we have communion together, you hear me say the mystery of faith is that Christ has died, Christ has risen and Christ will come again. In our other services, that's part of the responsive readings that we share together every week. And some of our services, at least two of our services, the phrase is uttered, the mystery of faith is that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. The mystery of faith is something that has happened, something that is happening is something that will happen. The reason why we proclaim this every week, the reason why we think this is central to our beliefs, is because we believe that when Christ died and rose again, something happened. It wasn't just some event in history that's nice to remember. We believe that when Christ died, Christ rose, and the fact that Christ will come again, it means that when those things took place, a new inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven happened on earth. 
that Jesus brought the future glory, this mansion in the sky place that we talk about, this, this kingdom reality from heaven to earth. Make thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can say that and believe that because of what happened in the life, the death, the resurrection of the person we know as Jesus. And we're talking a couple of weeks about how that person is also God and that itself is a paradox, that Jesus is God. But it's enough for us today to say that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died and rose again, something incredible took place. The reason why we worship Jesus is not just because he died or lived some nice life. It's because when he rose again and because of the work that God did through Jesus, now, as Jesus says it, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And it doesn't really make sense, does it, to say that. I mean, it's really hard for us to appreciate because that means that two realities exist in one moment, or really, two moments exist within one reality. It doesn't really commute with us because we are beings that are trapped by the linear nature of time. For us, things are either in the past, they're in the present or in the future, and the present's only just a moment, so really it's usually the past. Like my favorite, one of my favorite songs by John Hyatt, a lyric says, we, we scheme about the future and we dream about the past. For us, time is either behind us or ahead of us, but it's not both at the same time. We're either thinking about what has already happened or we're dreaming about what is going to happen. We're stuck thinking about one reality, but we're not present in both at the same time. But God is not bound by those same limits. Peter tells us, for God, time doesn't make sense at all. One day with God is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. You might think God is being slow. But God is not being slow in the way that we understand slowness. Peter's trying to tell us that to God, the kingdom of heaven is not bound by the same limits of time that we are all bound by. The future glory might actually be in the future, but it is also in the present. The kingdom of God is mansions in the sky. The kingdom of God is also at hand. Like we said last week, in the theme of this whole series, there are certain things that we just can't hold together. There are certain realities that just don't make sense when we think about them at the same time. But God can hold all things together. God can hold together the past and the future. God can hold together the fact that someday when we all get to heaven is also right now. And I was trying to think of a good illustration to explain this, to help kind of make this more concrete. We preachers, we love examples and illustrations. Basically, I just think I'm a glorified storyteller. And I was talking to Michael about it because, you know, we preach the same sermons each week. We write them together. And I said, man, I'm struggling with this. And, and he offered a really good example that I thought was perfect. And I wanted to, to share it this morning. It, it was kind of like this whole reality of the future glory, the presentness, the already and the not yet. It would be as if you lived in South Carolina 
around the time of the American Revolution. Around 1774 to 1780, if you were in that era, and you were an American revolutionary, you were excited about this new nation, you would go to vote for things related to this new country, you would celebrate when the Declaration of Independence was signed. But at home, all of your neighbors are like, what are you talking about? Because most of South Carolina were loyalists. They considered themselves to be British. And so here you are saying things and talking about things they don't understand. You're talking about a new nation. You're saying that this is a new country. And they're like, no, this is an English colony. You're saying that you're voting for something and they're like, that's not even real. That vote doesn't count. They've never seen the United States of America They don't know that there's a war about to come that will last for many years and then will be settled whenever the British surrender. You are voting for something you believe in, but has not been fully made manifest yet. That makes sense, right? Your your voting and your belief doesn't mean the United States is already the way it's going to be. I mean, there's still years between the Continental Congress and the signing of the, and the creation of the Constitution. But you believe in something that you are participating in, even when those around you think, that's not real. It doesn't make sense. What you're talking about, it doesn't compute. Your life, your voting, your behavior, your belief, it's a very alreadiness. But you also know that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be yet. The country hasn't been fully formed. There are still British people occupying, British soldiers occupying the country. There's still a war to be waged. There's an alreadiness because you know this thing is so real, but there's not yetness because it's not complete. So it is with the kingdom of heaven. When we live our lives as people of the kingdom, when you pray, when you come to worship, whenever you tell people about Jesus, whenever you do things that are oriented towards your faith, you are participating in the alreadiness of the kingdom of God. You are saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. You are participating in the fact that Jesus did something that changed the world. But heaven knows the kingdom of God is also not yet. The kingdom of God is still yet to be fully made known because we know that this world is far from perfect. I mean, just look outside. Look at all that goes on in and around the world that does not reflect the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. There's the alreadiness of the goodness we've experienced and the not yetness of the world that is to come. So I ask again, why do we pretend every year as if we're waiting for something to come that we've already seen? It's because we are. Like the Israelites, we are waiting for restoration of God the Almighty. We are hoping with all the hope we have for the perfection of the kingdom to be made known on earth as it is in heaven. Things are not yet as they should be. And so we wait with anticipation and we pray and we believe about the world that is to come. But we do so while we simultaneously bear witness to the God who is already here, to the kingdom of heaven that is already 
at hand. We can long for the future and appreciate the moment. We can be excited about the restoration that God will bring and say, I'm dedicated to doing the work in this moment. And so when it comes to the kingdom, how does your life reflect it? For you, is grace the get out of hell free card? Is it the thing that you're holding on to so that when you get to heaven, you're like, hey, I accepted Jesus, so we're good. I can just kind of go by and by and keep doing what I'm doing. And when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. Or is the kingdom of heaven already at hand for you? Are you living your life in a way that reflects the glory of God? Does the goodness of God matter in your day-to-day life, or is it just something you're putting off until we get to the mansions in the sky? The new heavens and the new earth. Because it should be both. Like, what what does Peter tell us? He says, since you are looking forward to this, since you're looking forward to heaven made manifest, the new heaven and the new earth, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. We already know the ways of the kingdom because of what God did in Jesus, that it mattered, something significant happened. And because of this truth, we are living as kingdom people already. Or at least we should be. We're called to be. I mean, I look around this room and I know that many of us already are. I mean, this is off the, the top of my head, and I didn't ask for permission, but, but I think of somebody like Kristen who's, who's fostering children, taking care, just like Jesus said, of the orphans. Take care of the orphans. I think of people who are offering their homes to people to live with them. I, I think of the people who are giving generously to ministry. This is a church full of kingdom-oriented people, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. And it makes me want to be better. I hope that you can see your neighbors and in the people you're sitting next to and the people you worship with, that you can say, because of you, the kingdom of God is at hand. Through you, I see the goodness of a future glory that we don't fully know yet. I pray that you want to be that person who shines that light of an all-readiness do we also know is not quite yet. Will you pray with me?